exciting news report. Our event, Inspiring Prevention of Eating Disorders and Body Image Issues, is going online. This is an eating disorders training event for sufferers, mental health professionals, counsellors, nutritionists, dietitians, personal trainers, and anyone with an interest in eating disorders prevention. And it is now online, bringing people together, sharing a passion for change around these issues. It is an event to inspire, educate, and connect with like-minded others. So why do we need this event? Well, we know that eating disorders are on the rise, and many people in our culture experience devastating distress around body image. And as a result of this, so many people are desperately struggling with their physical health, mental well-being, and self-worth. And we know that the incidence of eating disorders exploded in the pandemic, and we continue to experience the aftermath of this. And the Lancet Group recently published research in June 2023, revealing a 42% rise in eating disorders among teenage girls as a result of the lockdowns, with similar rates of self-harm in this demographic. We need change at grassroots level. We need to implement change in society, changing the narrative and helping people to find a newfound understanding around relationship with food, psychology and body image. So be part of this change. We have brought together experts in the field to inspire and educate around prevention of these issues. And it's going to be a one day event on the 30th of September 2023 online. We're going to be having lots of talks and workshops, talking about the catastrophic impact of diet culture, looking at the early years as foundation for good mental health, talking about the hidden eating disorders with 85% of people not being underweight, looking at diagnosis, early intervention and support, talking about issues with men getting eating disorders too around muscularity talking about improving body image and developing radical self-love, understanding a broader definition of health, intuitive eating principles, is sugar really the enemy, finding a healthy relationship with exercise and movement, dealing with diet culture and lots more. So if you want to up-level your knowledge, be inspired, connect with others from all over the world and be part of this transformation, click the link in the bio of the show notes to get your ticket. Saturday 30th of September, see you there. Hello and welcome to the Eating Disorder Therapist podcast. This is a podcast to help you find peace with food and overcome disordered eating. And I'm Harriet Frew, aka the Eating Disorder Therapist. And I'm so excited to share with you all kinds of stories, tips, information and guest interviews to help you on your journey in finding peace with food. So thank you so much for listening today. Now today I have a guest on the podcast, Victoria Ying. Victoria Ying is a critically acclaimed author and artist living in Los Angeles. She started her career in the arts by falling in love with comic books. This eventually turned into a career working in animation and graphic novels. She loves Japanese curry, putting things in her shopping cart online and taking them out again and hanging out with her husband and furry friends. And her film credits include Tangled, Wreck-It Ralph, Frozen, Paperman, Big Hero 6, and Moana. She's the illustrator on DC's Diana Princess of the Amazons and the author and illustrator of City of Secrets and the sequel City of Illusion in stores everywhere. And her upcoming graphic novel projects include the sequel to Diana Princess of the Amazons and a young adult debut Hungry Ghost. This is a beautifully rendered exploration of a teenage girl's life as she navigates grief and her eating disorder, seeking self-acceptance, love and the strength to find help. 
So in the conversation today, we explore Victoria's own eating disorder recovery journey and the things that helped her with this. We talk about her fiction book and the themes explored throughout. And Victoria shares books that were particularly helpful to her around fat activism and eating disorder recovery memoirs and how much of her initial recovery journey was explored alone rather than with support. And much of this was through reading. She reflects on eating disorders in Chinese and other Asian American communities and the impact of having immigrant parents whilst being brought up in American culture and the isolation and confusion this can bring with the different perspectives of those different generations. This is a fascinating episode. So much value and inspiration here. Let's get to the conversation. Hi, Victoria. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Really excited to be here. Oh, thank you. So Victoria, could I get you to introduce yourself first, please, to the listeners? Sure. My name is Victoria Yang. I am an author and illustrator, most recently of the graphic novel Hungry Ghost. I also have a background in animation where I worked on films such as Tangled, Frozen, Wreck-It Ralph, Big Hero 6, and Moana. Hey, no, thank you. You sound like you have a very glamorous career, Victoria. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a real ride. I got to do a lot of really cool things. Mm, yeah, no, gosh, so pleased for you. And do you sort of do a bit of a balance of like um, writing and then creating kind of animations? Or can you just like tell us a little bit more about sure. yeah, how that works? Yeah, actually, I started my career in animation because I just kind of, I always wanted to be in comics, but I learned pretty early on in my college career that financially it would be much more stable to go and work in entertainment. And that was really what my college specialized in. So I pivoted and I wanted to work in animation. So I worked at Disney Feature for about eight years. And while I was there, I learned a lot about storytelling and visual storytelling, especially. And I really realized I wanted to tell my own stories And the best way for me to do that was actually to leave the studios and pursue publishing full-time and just work on my own books. I no longer work in animation full-time. I still take freelance here and there, but my main focus is my books right now and just focusing on uh, getting better at being a writer and telling authentic stories from my own point of view. Okay, now thank you for sharing. So you've recently had a book out, Hungry Ghost, is that right? Did it come out in April this year? That's right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So can you tell us a little bit more about the book Hungry Ghost and a bit about the sort of story and um, yeah, what sort of brought you to write that book? Sure. Yeah. Hungry Ghost is my latest release. It came out in April, like you said, and it is about a young Asian American girl who is growing up with an eating disorder and how she kind of comes to terms with even just admitting that to herself and also figuring out how to heal in a situation that is not the cultural standard that we usually see for eating disorder recovery. I wanted to write this story because when I saw a lot of eating disorder media, it didn't really reflect my own experience. And I found myself very disappointed with my own cultural background because the reactions that I got from family, which I had expected something very different because of you know, the stories that we're being told in Lifetime movies, I just found myself really disappointed in my own experience. And so I wanted to put that out there as a story, because if I'm feeling that way, then other people from immigrant families or other people who maybe don't have really supportive families will also feel that way. And I wanted to show them that like, even if you don't have 
that outlet for support, like you can still find a way to heal. Mm, sure. So really sounds like drawing on your own experience, but really kind of perhaps giving a voice to people where they don't perhaps feel understood or validated by a lot of the messages out there, don't feel understood or validated by their families, but really being able to kind of explore that in a way that is much more relatable to some of these communities. Yeah, for sure. That's definitely what the goal was. Mm. So could you tell us, Victoria, a little bit about your own sort of story and journey through disordered eating, eating disorders and how that looks? Yeah. So for me, a big reason why this is fiction and not a memoir is because a lot of the things that happened in the book did not happen to me as a teenager. They happened to me much later in life, in my 20s and even early 30s. And I put that story into the time period of being a teen because I feel like YA stories are so much about self-realization and that's just kind of the age that most people are kind of coming of age. So I shifted a lot of the narrative into a much more condensed timeline and a different place that the character is in terms of their life versus where I was. I actually, all through my teen years, I was very thin, like naturally thin, did not have to do anything. And I started to panic when I went to college and slowly started to gain weight. And then that's when the disordered eating really came up because I had been fed this message that like gaining weight was bad and being in a larger body was bad. And my family, and this is true for a lot of immigrant families, like people's appearance is one of the first things that you discuss. And so I heard from my family constantly talking about other people who are in larger bodies and like how their families should be so ashamed and et cetera, et cetera. And so I knew that that was not acceptable. So I fell into disordered eating around that time. And I really found my own recovery from reading fat activist memoirs and also eating disorder memoirs. And, you know, I really saw my experience in some ways reflected in those. And I really was able to identify like, oh, actually, I'm doing a lot of the same things that these people are describing. And that really was the thing that spurred me to eventually like get help and figure out how to make peace with the body that I was born with. Mm, Yeah, sure. So it sounds like you had to kind of be navigating your recovery quite a lot on your own, didn't you? Like you didn't perhaps have that many people around you. Yeah. It sounds like you were quite proactive actually in pursuing different routes where you could find some support. Yeah. I think that that's the power of books because they are so private and you can really explore what those feelings are. Even if you just have like a mild curiosity, like you're like, oh, I wonder what that would be like. And then especially memoir. I love memoir. And I think it's one of the most powerful mediums. But being able to kind of see, oh, this is what this other person's life was like, was really a good way for me to kind of dip my toes into being aware of my own disordered eating and like how to recover too. Because a lot of those books will eventually talk about the process of like seeking help, getting treatment, et cetera, et cetera. So like I didn't have a lot of outside help, but I did have the publishing community in a sense because I was able to have resources that I could privately look at and not feel judged and not feel like, oh, I'm telling this very deep, dark secret to somebody. I was able to kind of explore that on my own, which I think that for a lot of people, that's probably the safest way to get to just figuring out your own stuff. Mm, Yeah, no, I think that's a great advice, actually wisdom for anyone listening who's maybe just feeling at this stage 
they're not at all ready maybe to speak to someone or to go to a professional but just be able to kind of explore it in private and mm-hmm. perhaps read some material that's really relatable and you know just to start to progress I guess making those first steps even towards yeah. thinking about recovery yeah, I think that like in the beginning of my book, the character kind of knows that something's wrong, but they don't really want to face recovery because they know recovery means that like you have to let go of this coping mechanism. Most of the book is about how do you acknowledge that even that you do need help and how do you get to a point where you can reach out? So I think that at least for me, it was really important to have books and to be able to get to that place on my own because it took me years. Like if I wrote this as a memoir, then like that gap between, hmm, you know, having an eating disorder and then getting into recovery is like 15 years. So <laughs> that's like a big reason why I like made it fiction. Cause I'm like, you know what? It's too long. We got to just like get to the point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think it's so validating, Victoria, you saying it out loud, because I think it's most people's experience that it does take time to acknowledge that it is a problem. Because I think Disordered eating is very normalized, isn't it? Mm -hmm. In our culture and the pursuit of a thin body, all of that. It's not surprising, I think, that for quite a long time for people, they don't really recognize it's a problem. They might Mm -hmm. sense something's not quite right here or, you know, I'm not completely happy. I'm really preoccupied with food and body image. But, you know, a lot of that just happens in culture, in our culture anyway, doesn't it? So sometimes it's hard to actually recognize there is an issue there. Yeah, I think what you said about how, oh, it's normal, like that is a response that I would get from a lot of people when I would describe to them like, oh, I have a problem with food on my body. Everyone would be like, especially women, they would be like, oh, that's normal. And yeah, it is normal, but that doesn't make it okay. (laughs) And I think that that took a long time for me to get there. And that was the other reason why I really wanted to tell the story because I think that so much of the eating disorder media that we see is so much about the behavior and so much about the like gory details. It's almost like addiction memoirs where like you want to see rock bottom, right? Like there's like almost a voyeuristic desire to kind of see, oh, like how messy does this get? And I feel like the experience of having an eating disorder is so much less of that stuff and so much more just like the being in your own brain, the constant chatter. And that's really what I wanted to emphasize in my book too, is it's not just about, oh, the purging and like what that's like. It's much more about the day-to-day and like how you view yourself and other people and how that actually like colors your entire life. Are you tired of being tired and fighting with your body while the emotional eating or binging continues? You are not alone. Emotional eating is not your fault and is complex. Are you ready to gain massive insight into your emotional binge triggers and to understand the roots of why you're in self-sabotage with food and your body? If so, you would definitely want to check out emotional eating, digestive and hormone expert Amber Romaniak's The No Sugar Coating podcast with over 400 episodes diving deep into emotional eating and binge triggers, female hormone and gut imbalances, weight blocks, cravings and the physical, emotional and energetic connections. After overcoming her own food addiction, binge eating and emotional eating behaviors fully and now coaching over 1600 women in the last 10 years, she provides a deep level of knowledge to help assist you forward on your journey to food and body freedom and beyond. 
This podcast will help you build a newfound level of awareness that you may have never had before. And there's no diets, no quick fixes and no band-aid approaches here. This podcast is about building self-love, acceptance and becoming in tune with your relationship with food, thoughts, symptoms and will help you start to take back your power. Visit amberapproved.ca forward slash podcast. So that's amberapproved.ca forward slash podcast. The link will be in the show notes to start listening and take the next life-changing step on your journey. You're not alone. You've got this and you can break free. You can also check out a wide variety of resources, a free emotional eating quiz, one-to-one coaching support, and more about body freedom at amberapproved.ca. Yeah, so it sounds like in the book, in a way, you're really getting an insight, I guess, into what it's like to be in someone's head that's struggling with these issues. Yeah. And it might not be, like you say, in a way, these kind of like, I don't know, really messy kind of behaviors and, you know, all the kind of glorification and kind of egging up of all that side of things. It's much more about the subtleties, isn't it? And I think those subtleties, again, sometimes can become normal in air quotes, but it's not normal, is it, when you're sort of preoccupied by all those thoughts day by day? Yeah. And I think that for me, again, because I did have books so much as both my introduction to like, what is an eating disorder? What is like fat activism and fat acceptance? Those things also were often instructive when they didn't mean to be. So when you were reading eating disorder memoirs, sometimes like when they wanted to tell you the gory details, they would go into so much detail that it became instructive. Like I learned a lot of tips about how to have an eating disorder from these books about recovery. (laughs) And that was something I also purposely tried to avoid in my book because I knew from my own experience of having these books as my first introduction to like acknowledging that someone else had the same feelings that I did. They also really taught me how to like deepen my eating disorder too. Like there was a lot of, it's very complicated. And so that was the other thing I wanted to avoid is there isn't a lot of detail that goes into the behavior and I try really hard to like not show anything and also not get too messy in the details because yeah, I think that that stuff can actually, aside from just the gawking of people who maybe don't have eating disorders, it also is a way for people to either normalize that behavior or to like maybe even get tips. And I think that that's just not cool. Yeah, I know. Here, here. I absolutely agree with you there. And obviously like you talked about some of the books that were particularly helpful for you sort of um you know and could you like perhaps even give those a mention I mean I know for everyone what speaks to them is going to be very individual but which are the books which particularly stand out for you in your recovery journey for sure yeah I definitely started on my own acknowledgement of my eating disorder through like fat activist books so Lindy West Shrill was one of the first ones that I read because she had written a lot of really great essays on Jezebel. And then when she wrote her book, a lot of that was in there. And I was able to kind of see this issue, not just through like an individual perspective, but also from like a social justice perspective, which I think really did help me to reframe it and change the way that I viewed not just like my body, but also to like look at it from a larger cultural perspective. In the same way, I also think Roxanne Gay's Hunger did that for me. Most recently, Aubrey Gordon has a great book called What We Don't Talk About When We Talk About Fat, which again is about like fat justice and those types of issues. In terms of like eating disorder recovery memoirs, 
Unbearable Lightness by Portia de Rossi was one of the first like eating disorder memoirs that I really read. Most recently, also, I'm Glad My Mom Died by Jeanette McCurdy. That was like the big book of last year. And she talks about her ED from a very young age and having like a parent who really was somebody who triggered that in her. And that was another book that really spoke to me. Although like my book was very finished by the time I read Jeanette's book, I still felt a lot of parallels there. And it was something that I feel like is a very good book for people who are interested in seeing how eating disorders can be passed on generationally, like that generational trauma. Those are my main recommendations. I also really like the podcast Maintenance Phase, which is actually about debunking junk science. But I think it's really good counter-programming because we're so surrounded by the idea that like, oh, this is how you should change your body. This is the ideal diet, blah, 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 blah. And like being able to just listen to a podcast every other week, that's like, hmm, let's look at this from a critical lens. Let's look at it from like a justice lens. Let's look at it from a science lens. And I think that that's also been very helpful for my recovery. Mm, Yeah, well, thank you so much for like sharing those resources. And yeah, Victoria, if you have time, actually, if you could just like list some of those books for me on a, you know, an email, I will put them in the show notes, because I'm sure like, it's just so valuable, I think, just to hear what's been helpful for other people. And it sounds like so many of those books and the podcasts have been really like transformative and validating for you in your Mm -hmm. journey, actually. So helpful. So thank you for that. Yeah. So can you tell us as well a bit more about disordered eating, eating disorders in sort of the Chinese and other sort of Asian American communities as well? And perhaps how that's different from the more kind of mainstream culture? Hmm. I think it's very challenging because I'm a child of immigrants. So my family grew up in a very different cultural environment. And me growing up in the United States meant that like I had the cultural expectation of your parents like listening to your feelings and talking to you about them. And like that was not their reality. They had never experienced that. And also they had never thought to do that. And so part of being like a Chinese American is that disconnect between you and your family, because you're never going to have the same baseline understanding of what is acceptable and what is okay. When I tried to draw a boundary with my mother, which was like, please stop commenting on my body. Please stop commenting on what I eat. It became this huge issue because she was like, why can't we talk about anything? And it was this thing because her expectation of like, talk about anything was just, why can't I criticize you unendingly? (laughs) Mm -hmm. And why is that a problem? And it's very difficult to explain that to them, even in like the most gentle way possible, because they don't have the language or the understanding to really be able to grasp like what you're saying to them, like why that isn't okay. Because yeah, especially being in Asia, like I've been in Tokyo for two months. I went back to Taiwan to visit my family and just seeing how common fat phobia is and how accepted and even how celebrated, because I think that shame is a big component of keeping people in line with the cultural standard and the cultural ideal. And in Asia, like the idea of like your body as like an object, as something for like other people to look at, I think it's even stronger here than it is in the West because in the West, like so much about like who you are is about like what you bring to the table as a person. But in Asia, especially as a woman, like the first thing and even like the fifth or sixth thing is still about your appearance. Like they really are not interested in the individual so much as they are about like 
the image that you can project. So yeah, like I had a friend who moved to Taiwan and she was telling me how she's much smaller than me too. And she was telling me how she can't take it anymore. She has to move back because the fat phobia is just so strong and so pervasive and strangers are like willing to tell you to your face, like, oh no, you're like too big. Or like, if you walk into a store and they don't have your size, they'll just be like, oh, we have nothing for you here. And that is such a challenging place to be as someone who grew up in the West and has like that Western ideal of like, oh, well, we should care about who people are as like people and not just as like a decorative object. So I think that, I don't know, I can't speak entirely to like what the culture here or in Asia is, because again, I'm not from there. Like I have this perspective as an outsider looking in and trying to understand like what my family is doing. Like I went to Taiwan and my body has changed since the pandemic. I'm larger than I was the last time I saw my family. And I was really expecting them to be like awful to me. But even though that did sort of happen, my grandma, her first question to me was, how long have you been fat? The thing is, like, I actually found a lot of peace because once I got there, I realized that, like, I look just like my aunts. I look just like my grandmother. Like, my body looks like theirs. And for a long time, I used to think that, like, I don't know, my hormones are messed up or, like, my ED is the reason why I'm this size. And it's like, no, it's not. Actually, it's your genetics. (laughs) And being, like, separated from family like that, I think, can make that feel like, oh, yeah, like, especially, like, the larger cultural idea of, like, what an Asian woman looks like is usually small and slim and all those things. And then when you don't see your own family, like you don't realize that like, oh, actually you do look the way you're supposed to. Like you're not doing anything wrong, you know? (laughs) Although like my mother does not look like me. She is much smaller than me, but I know that is because of intense body policing (laughs) and a lot of her own like issues with food. And so, yeah, it's just interesting because I wish I could like speak to it more clearly, but it's very complicated because I have such like this in-between perspective where like I am of that culture, but I'm really not because I grew up on the West. I grew up with TV and media that everyone did. But at the same time, like my family and people close to me did not grow up with those same cultural expectations and trying to like resolve that disconnect is very challenging because we just don't speak the same language not even like literally, but just like figuratively, like we're not even starting from the same baseline. Mm. Yeah, no, I think just so helpful for you to sort of talking about all of this. So I think, yeah, it sounds like you had to come to some sort of acceptance, didn't you, particularly around the communication with your mother, that mm-hmm. her intentions may be quite honorable. And, you know, she has a certain way of looking at things, but actually you are probably never going to be able to communicate in the way that you would ideally like to because of just the way she was brought up where she looked at things was just so different, I guess, from the way you were looking at things. So it sounded like you almost had to kind of develop a real acceptance, I guess, of the limitations about how much she's able to shift. Yeah. And I mean, that's hard, isn't it? It's hard. Oh, it's so hard. And I think that that's actually the the inspiration for this book came out of a lot of anger because I was like, why don't I get that? I felt like I've been corrected on this many times by my friends. I did feel like when I told my mother about my eating disorder, and at that point I had been in treatment, I had already like been diagnosed by an actual person. When I told her about my eating disorder, her reaction to me was so not what I expected. And I felt like if my family was white, I would not have had this problem. 
I know that that's not true, <laughs> but I do think that like, because I only had a certain cultural script to work off of, which is media about and by white people about these families who are accepting and caring and who like freak out about their children. I was so disappointed in a way that like I had to like articulate somehow. And that's the inspiration for like why I started writing this. Yeah, well, it sounds like you've been able to kind of fuel that very justifiable anger in a very constructive mm-hmm. direction. Yeah, I mean, in the end, people were like, oh, is this very therapeutic? And I'm like, sort of. I mean, I definitely <laughs> got to a point where the conclusion of the book was really hard because like I based it so much on my experience, but like obviously my relationship with my mother was not in the same place that the characters is at the end of the book. But I did think it was helpful for it to be fiction because then I got to write the version that I thought was realistic, but I also knew was satisfying. So like I got to kind of do that for myself to fictionalize like, hmm, what outcome would I like? But also not just like a total fantasy, (laughs) you know, this is like an outcome that would be acceptable to me, but is also realistic. Yeah, and it's so interesting. So you almost kind of got to gain that yourself therapeutically through the writing experience. Even Yeah, for sure. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. There's a lot of power, isn't there, I think, in writing things down, telling our stories. I mean, you know, just hearing Mm -hmm. you say that just really reinforces that. Yeah, totally. And I guess as you couldn't like lean on your family, perhaps in the way that you would have ideally liked to, and it sounds like a lot of your work was reading and then, you know, having your own support through therapy. And did you Mm -hmm. also like kind of speak to friends or did you find other sort of healthy outlets where you could, you know, have a voice and say it how it was and feel heard and validated? So a big part of the book is the character's friendship with her best friend who really shows her another way to live just by being like, okay with yourself and accepting yourself. And that character is fully fiction. It is not somebody I had in my real life, but it is the person that I wanted to become. I actually shared with very few people my eating disorder. And in a lot of ways, like this book is me telling people for the first time, most people in my life. I think part of it is, yeah, just that deep shame from friends and family and feeling like this is just the kind of thing that makes people uncomfortable because I think so many people, even if they don't have a eating disorder, capital E, capital D, are still involved in so much disordered eating that like in order for them to like really support you, they also have to give that up. But I did actually in, I want to say like the beginning of the pandemic is when I actually started to make peace with my actual body and not just like stop the behavior, but actually to like heal myself. And a lot of that was because of a book that I forgot to mention, but was actually a really big deal for me was Christy Harrison's Anti-Diet. And I think that that book is a really great introduction, especially for people who either had eating disorders or people who are outside of the fat justice world. And my book club read it. And then there were so many women in my book club who connected to it. And then we created a little private group chat that we can like support each other with. So that happened like much, much later. Actually, I think it was after I'd written the book and I was like just making the book at that point. But that was when I really was able to like come out to my friends was actually like after I had already sold the book to a publisher, after I'd already like (laughs) told my agent and sold it to a publisher. Then after that and having this book as an introduction and being able to like talk about the book, that's when I was able to actually come out to like my friends and family. Mm, Sure. And when you start looking back on your whole experience now, like, you know, if you could like 
repeat history like do you think was there any point in your journey where you really wish you had been more open or being able to talk to other people hmm I think that's hard because our lives are like so complicated that like if I just shifted that one thing what other things would change yeah and I do wish that I had that for myself especially when I was young especially like when ED really like got a hold of me because I was still very I was like 19 still like barely a young adult and still really figuring out my own stuff. And I was in a school where I was the only woman of my class. So all around me was men and I didn't know who I could even discuss this with. I was too busy trying to be cool and too busy trying to like be one of the guys. So mm. in my own mind, I'm like, who would that have even been, <laughs> you know? Yeah. But it is like such a weird specific experience because yeah, like being surrounded by men made me feel very isolated because yeah, I couldn't talk about issues I had with my body, but also like I knew that they were all judging me too. Cause I think at one point, like when I started gaining weight, I was like, hmm, you know, I think I gained a little weight. And then like, I overheard someone, I mean, he was talking to me, but he wasn't involved in the conversation I was having. He like out loud said, oh yeah, we all noticed. And like that experience of being monitored by people that I didn't even think about really did like throw me into the deep end of like ED and the secrecy of the whole thing. So I also had like a really toxic relationship at the time. And so, yeah, it's one of those things where, yes, I absolutely wish that I had that person, but it's such a fantasy. And yeah. that's why I wrote it in the book, you know, to have that person, to wish that for myself and to be that now for other people. Hey, Victoria, what's next for you? Like what sort of projects have you got going on or are you going to be writing another book or, you know, <laughs> <laughs> have you decided yet? <laughs> Yeah, actually. So I have an upcoming book with Scholastic Marvel. So I do obviously this like young adult issues books that are very close to me, but I also do a lot of like traditional comic stuff. So yeah, in October 6th, I have a book coming out with Marvel called Shang-Chi and the Secret of Immortality. And that is based on the Marvel character Shang-Chi. And it's a middle grade book and it's really fun and also really taps into a lot of like the things that I enjoy about fiction. And then in terms of books that are more similar to Hungry Ghost, I have another book that I'm doing with my same publisher that is about being an artist in the early 2000s on the internet and having an inappropriate relationship with a much older man. Mm, sure. Yeah, well, it sounds like really, really interesting creative projects that you've got going on there. Yeah, so very different too. <laughs> So Victoria, where can people find you and find your book? You know, if they want to like perhaps get in touch with you, like get hold of a copy of Hungry Ghost or any of your other work, like where's the best place to seek you out? Yeah, so Hungry Ghost is available pretty much wherever books are sold. Buy from your local indie bookstore if you can. Otherwise, it's on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, uh, pretty much anywhere you can buy books. It's available now. To find me, I have a website. It is just my name, victoriaying.com. I am also on Twitter as long as Twitter exists and <laughs> Instagram also just my name at Victoria Ying. Hey, brilliant. Well, I should make sure and we'll put all the details in the show notes. Um, so thank you for sharing those. For sure. 
Yeah, well, I just want to say, Victoria, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. I think it's been like really interesting conversation and, you know, shed some light on so many issues. And I think it will be relatable for a lot of listeners because, you know, we do have people listening on this podcast from all over the world. And I'm sure so many people are going to really sort of identify with what you've talked about and, you know, draw hope and inspiration and probably get a hold of your book too. So thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. I really appreciate it. So I hope you enjoyed this conversation just as much as I did. Do go and check out all of Victoria's info in the show notes. If you're not following me already, do see me on Instagram at the eating disorder therapist underscore. And for more support with your relationship with food, do go to the eating disorder therapist.co.uk. If you enjoy this podcast, I would be so grateful if you would follow, rate and review as it helps it reach so many more listeners. Thank you so much for listening today. And I look forward to sharing another podcast episode with you very soon. Mm-hmm.